us being able to come into your presence and to worship you through music, through our words, through our posture, even through the opening of your word and in prayer. Thank you that we have an open door into your presence because of what you've done in and through Jesus. Thank you that he provides the way that we can, can come with confidence before you, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are accepted. I pray that as uh, the word is open today, thank you that the scripture is God-breathed, but as we open scripture, may you breathe your life into each one of us. May we not leave this morning the same as we came. May we leave with hope. May we leave emboldened by your love to go out into the world that you still care for. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to preach today from Luke chapter uh, 17 from verse 11. If you want to follow, you can get out your Bible uh, either on your phone or old school with a paper book. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So quite an amazing healing encounter. But I want to take a very long run-up before we look at the healing of the ten to look at a whole lot of other healing encounters. Don't worry, I'm not going to look at all the encounters throughout all the Gospels just in Luke. So settle down, we will be done by lunch. Um, we're in for a long haul. The first healing encounter is Jesus with demons. It's a spiritual healing. It's him, him as the light of the world driving back the darkness, and it's in Luke chapter 4 from verse 31. We don't know whether the people healed, uh, how they responded. It's, it's one nameless man, just as an example, but then it refers to there being a number of other healings that happened. It, it just sets the scene. It moves quite swiftly in, in Luke's account into Jesus healing Simon's or Peter's mother-in-law from a high fever. Now, this was far more personal, um, Peter had a problem. It was now close to, this is his mother-in-law we're talking about. And, you know, don't mess with the mother-in-law. I, I mean, look, some son-in-laws maybe wouldn't intervene if the mother-in-law was a touch and go. And, uh, you know, but obviously Peter was a good son-in-law and, and maybe, you know, came to, Jesus, you have to intervene. My mother-in-law is sick. And uh, we read in scripture that Jesus heals uh, Simon's mother-in-law of this high fever and we don't have a, a, a much detail about her response other than she immediately gets up and waits on them. Wow, one moment she's raging a high fever and is not in a good space. Next moment she's waiting on um, Jesus and his disciples. Now that in itself is a, a posture of gratitude. Um, showing hospitality was uh, held in very high regard. 
And she was able to, to do that and, and serve Jesus and, and the disciples. It then in Luke chapter 4 from verse 40, simply says, Jesus heals many and many look for him. So we have a, a general setting of now Jesus is casting out demons, healing people, even healing mother-in-laws, and it attracts people to Jesus. As we go through, just because there's been a miracle or you've been attracted to Jesus or encountered him in some really positive way, doesn't mean there's necessarily a response which is one of gratitude and or recognizing exactly who he is. But we're going to get there. In Luke chapter 5 from verse 12 is a personalized encounter with a man with leprosy. And what we have as the scene is a, a, a leprous man sees or hears of Jesus coming into, into close to where he is, and he approaches Jesus and falls face down before Jesus. You have to understand that often in Scripture, the term leprosy is just used as a, a catch-all for a whole range of chronic skin diseases. Any of which that were chronic, you, you, it would be of concern, uh, it would be deemed that now you had to be put outside a camp or outside the village, and you would go to a, a separate place. And especially if you had leprosy, that was a terminal judgment. Some of the other skin diseases would resolve themselves in time, and, and in which case you could go present yourself to the priest, he would examine you and see you had been made whole, and then you could come back into community. But leprosy, genuine proper leprosy, there was no cure at that time. If you were a, a leper, you were an untouchable. You were doomed from the moment that it had been uh, found that you were uh, to be cast out. You couldn't even have that parting kiss with your wife or, you, or your son, right? Or your child. That was it. You're out of community. You had to be separate. And so these communities sprang up on the outside and outskirts of uh, places where perhaps they'd formerly lived. Think of that for a moment. Uh, those must have been communities of utter hopelessness of despair, of hardship. And out of one of these communities, a man with leprosy comes to Jesus, falls down before him and says, now heal me. What is powerful and remarkable in this example, and we don't see it in the 10, and we're going to get there, but Jesus reaches out and touches the untouchable. And he makes clean one who's unclean. And right there, something incredible about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is he does not mind taking on the sin of the world or being tarnished, shall I say, being made unclean by that which is in the world. Because although richly he, it would have affected him, who was made clean and who became unclean you know it, it was the flow from jesus to the unclean man and he was fully restored and jesus says go present yourself to the priest and in that action then he's fully restored back into community quite incredible just as an aside i wonder who the who those communities are today who the untouchables in our minds that we don't go and yell or we don't want to be associated with or if one of those people came towards us would we close the doors of the church or would we welcome them? I mean, I love that your testimony about the Kairos. 
Did you hear the language of rejection that came through there? We thought no one cared. We thought no one loved us. We thought we'd been forgotten about, and yet you showed us the love of God. Wow. That was Jesus reaching out and touching those people. Then in Luke chapter 5, from verse 17, there's an encounter through a hole in the roof. A whole lot of people are attracted to Jesus. It's pretty crowded in the space where he's teaching, and some friends bring their paralyzed mates along, and they can't get him in the front door, so they break a hole in, in, the, in the roof and lower him. Wow! How do, we feel, how do we feel if this place was absolutely packed, you couldn't get in here, and someone starts coming in through the roof? Council members would not be amused. Do you know what the bill on that is? You know, we're running at a cash deficit anyway. We don't have that for maintenance. This is a problem, right? So uh, some unusual circumstances around that healing, but Jesus looks at the faith of the friends and, and says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Hang on, he's paralyzed. Surely he wants to be healed physically from his paralysis. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And this causes quite a stir among the, 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 the sages, the, uh, the, the religious leaders, because they say, and rightly so, only God can forgive sins. True. Only God could forgive those man's sins to pronounce that he was not, you know, never mind cleansed of leprosy, cleansed of his sin. And Jesus then asks a question to that question and says, well, which is easiest? Do you say your sins are forgiven or be healed? The answer in the human dimension is, well, both are impossible for a human being. I can no more just make your sins disappear as I can in my own strength, have someone be healed. And so Jesus then says to the paralyzed man, go up, I mean get up, go. And he is physically healed, but it's a sign of his authority to forgive sins, and, and what else? Of something quite divine in that moment. And the people, it says in Scripture, they're praising God and they're filled with awe. So there we have a sense of how not only the paralyzed man responded, but those in the moment, there, that was a hallelujah moment. That was like a Pentecostal church service before there was Pentecostal church services. That was awesome. And it was appropriate because of what they had witnessed. At Capernaum in Luke chapter 7 from verse 1, a Roman centurion comes towards Jesus. And this is a God-fearing Roman centurion. So this was a, a group of people, although they were outside the Jewish uh, community and Jewish faith, were drawn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would have sought to follow as much of the teachings as they could and um, be involved in acts of charity. In fact, later we know one of the comments to do with the centurion is he's known for his charity. But this Roman centurion has an ill servant. And what a compassionate centurion. You don't always find this from people in leadership. He's concerned enough that he wants to approach this rabbi that's coming into town who's well known for his miracle signs and wonders. And the centurion approaches Jesus says, this is the situation I have. Will you come and heal? And Jesus, wow, he, he comes with this man. 
But as he's approaching the centurion's house, he says, hang on, Jesus, you don't need to come inside. Because if he's a God-fearing Gentile, then there are all manner of complexities around someone coming into that space. And the centurion displays incredible knowledge of authority. Not surprising being a centurion himself. He says, I am a man under authority and am in authority. Just give the command and it shall be so. Wow. And so from a distance, Jesus says, be healed. And it was so. And Jesus, reflecting on that interaction, said, this is an incredible man of faith. That he understands the, the nature of authority and of my authority. And so his reputation grows. And it says in Scripture, people were filled with awe and praised God. That seems to be a good response when God is in the house and doing something quite profound and miraculous. But it's not a guarantee. And then Luke chapter 7 from verse 11 and we're getting closer to the ten being healed. Stay with me. Jesus encounters a widow in the town called Nain with a funeral procession coming out of the city gates. And a widow who'd lost her son. Now this is devastating in, in the culture of that time where your security came through hereditary along the male line. The, the handing down of land and, and the likes. Your economic security. And so here a widow has lost her son and her life has been completely devastated. Jesus halts the funeral procession, which is quite radical in itself, because by what authority did he do that? Well, a, a king could kind of intervene and halt a procession. But he then touches the coffin. Oh, this is not a wooden pulpit. It was better at the first service. Like, knock, knock. This was not a matric person coming to their dance in a coffin. Did you read about that as an aside? You know, next level, how, how do you go when you've done all the fancy cars, now you start arriving in a coffin? Th this was a widow's son in a coffin. Jesus touches it and says, get up. And he's healed. And there's great rejoicing. And again, people filled with awe and praise God. And then Luke chapter 8, we are getting there to the, woman, the ten healed. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. An incredible healing encounter because again the crowds are around Jesus and this woman who suffered from hemorrhaging for 12 years which again with that state would have put her out of community she creeps up on Jesus touches and scripture says the the hem of his garment or the edge of his cloak she's immediately healed Jesus knows this has happened and doesn't let her sneak away because she has done something quite astounding in the eyes of her own community but Jesus actually wants to restore her not just physically but completely and holistically in the light of her community and he says who's who's touched me and the crowd and especially the disciples are like Jesus um, hello like everyone's jostling around you he says no 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 who touched me no, Jesus, look how the... No, I felt power go out of me. Who has touched me? Well, by this time, the, the woman is like, as Scripture says, she falls trembling at his feet. And she says, I touched you, and I was healed. Wow. Jesus raises up this daughter, 
and affirms her in light of her entire community. She, she's not only f healed physically from her problem with bleeding, but healed and restored in light of the whole community. Quite incredible. But there's even more because what's lost in our translation is she reaching out to, to touch the hem of his garment. It was the tassels on a garment that Jewish people, men in particular, to this day wear, where their tassels tied on the four corners. And those are commanded by God to represent God's uh, Torah, God's scripture, God's word, but also the authority of God. And so it's a garment that is worn, and you can sometimes just see the tassel sticking out, even with Jewish men today. She reached out and touched the corner, one of those, a sign of God's authority and God's word and God's sovereignty. But more than that, associated even at the time of Jesus, was this understanding that when the Messiah came, there would be healing in his wings. Now we're familiar that from the Psalms, there's healing in his wings. But it's translated into changeably wings and hems. Sometimes it's used one way, sometimes the other way. And so when Scripture talks about there being healing in his wings, it was assumed and, and seen that when the Messiah came, there'd be healings in, the, in his wings of his garments. So she is also making a statement about who Jesus was as the Messiah that was foretold of old. And if you think this is some old story, on a tour to Israel that I took, we went to Magdala, where they've discovered the first century town of, of Magdala and excavated it. And there's a beautiful chapel there dedicated now to women of the New Testament. And down a level, because of you know things pile up over the ages, the original level is at uh, first century level, is down a floor. They've created a chapel a lady chapel, literally a chapel to women, where there's a beautiful fresco painted of this woman reaching out and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. You don't see any faces, you just see sandals and this woman's hand touching. And when we were there, we were exploring this story, and then we had a time of prayer ministry, and one woman in our group came and said she had just heard that her daughter-in-law had been rushed to hospital because in her pregnancy which was quite advanced, she was now experiencing bleeding. And she said, please won't we pray for her daughter-in-law. We gathered around, we prayed for her daughter-in-law, and you know, in the afternoon we received news, completely resolved. And goosebumps moment. So not surprising, those who not only saw the first century healing, but when we saw the 21st century healing, there was gratitude and praise for what God had done. Luke chapter 8, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter who just died. I'm not going to dwell on that. The parents are astonished, probably rightfully so. We don't hear anything more about their attitude, was their praising of God. And then Luke chapter 9, Jesus heals a boy with an evil spirit. Again, people amazed and they marveled. Luke chapter 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath, and she immediately praises God. Which then brings us, now I can start the sermon. Thank you for your patience. You're thinking, oh no, when will this end? Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 of leprosy. We've already seen a whole range of responses 
to when Jesus heals, and also that Jesus has healed in many different ways. So when the ten come, and we read that in this instance, he just, from afar, spoke to them. It's not because he was not willing to touch them, because we know already, I've given you one of the opening examples, he was quite prepared to touch the untouchables. It's just in this instance, for whatever reason, the ten approach him, they call out to him, heal us, and he says, go present yourself to the priests. Perhaps that's not what they wanted. You know, maybe they wanted something very tangible, something far more uh, significant or kind of ritualistic. Wow, it was a merely, okay, go. Hang on, wait, anything more to this? You just want us, we go to the priests? And there's no change yet, right? So that they, that's that said, okay, all right, now, now we'll go. And the ten of them go, and that's an act of faith in itself. And somewhere along the way, they are all healed. All ten are healed. I wonder how that happened. You know, looking at the kind of scabby flesh and rotten places, noticing a changing, or was it itchy? Did they experience like goosebumps? Or, you know, what was it like? But one of the ten, at the moment when he realizes he's healed, turns... And goes back to Jesus and just is utterly grateful. It says here, When he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Why only the one and not all ten? I don't know the answer. But it disturbs me and I think that's the point of reflection for us. When God is at work in our lives. It's not a guarantee that our response will be one of gratitude. This one had the attitude of gratitude. And he was the Samaritan. Maybe there's something in that. He was the Kairos-ministered prisoner. Did you notice the utter gratitude in those testimonies? When you are in that hopeless camp... And they're not good enough, well, maybe there's so much greater awareness of the need for gratitude rather than the take-for-granted camp. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus asks, were all not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? And essentially, in the first instance, when the man sees he's healed, the term used there in Scripture is literally repaired, like a physical repair. When Jesus says, were not all ten cleansed, it means the same but slightly more. Cleansed also implies a drawing out of impurity. It's the same Greek word for where you get catheter from. <laughs> You're drawing out. And so there's yet another dimension to the healing. Not just a physical healing, but something more. And then Jesus says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And this is profound, and I think this is where I'm going to almost end the sermon. Yes, you can wake up. <sighs> because this is the last healing Jesus does in Luke's account. And it says he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he's on the way to the cross. He's on the way 
to do that ultimate saving work for all of humanity. And what he says to this man is, your faith has made you well. But it's the same word used for made you well that Paul uses when he's talking in Romans chapter 10 from verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That word saved is the word we have here when Jesus says and has made you well. In a sense, in the act of that man returning, he got to recognize who Jesus was and was utterly saved as Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem. If you want some homework, I want to leave you with a Jewish thought given this is a ministry I'm very involved in. Having an attitude of gratitude is the challenge arising from the sermon. And in Jewish and religious Jewish homes, the first word Jewish people are taught to say each morning, immediately on waking, so before anything else, before it's just upon taking your first breath, it's mode ane, which means I give thanks. So the first act for a pious and religious Jewish person is to say, I give thanks. But it's actually even more profound than that because the word order is inverted. The Hebrew actually means, thanks, I give. So the very first act is not even self-centered. It's not about whether I have, I have reason to be thankful getting up in the morning. It's just starting with thanks. I've breathed in. God, you've brought me through another night. Thanks. It's actually an utterly God-focused statement of faith. Thanks I give to you, God, before I know what this day holds. Thanks I give to you, God, before I know whether I'm healed. Thanks I give to you, God, before I know if things are going to go my way. Thanks I give to you, my God, before. It's not dependent on the circumstances. It's utterly dependent on knowing who God is. And how much more that we know who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ. The one who is prepared to touch the untouchables. The one who will reach out. The one who will encounter us where we're at. So homework, so what? Tomorrow morning when we wake up, thanks I give before anything else. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift we have in Jesus Christ for his life, his death, his resurrection. Thank you that in his life there's just so much that inspires our gratitude. We see how he related to people, how he reached out to people. And thank you that that is not just something stuck in the first century, but 
is true about how Jesus relates to us today. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is still about the business of restoration, of wholeness, of second chances, of healing, of driving back the darkness. We pray for ourselves, and I invite you in the quietness of your heart as I give just a moment's space. We pray for those we know who need your healing and encouragement. We ask in Jesus' name that they be healed, body, mind, and soul, whatever our prayer was. And we thank you, Father, for this morning that we've been able to gather in Jesus' name. Thank you for the fellowship that is here. Thank you that we can be those who encourage one another daily. Thank you we can be those that go out into the prisons and the Kairos ministry. We pray, Lord, that you'd inspire us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world at this time. Continue to reach out and touch the untouchables. We thank you for the gifts and offerings that have been given uh, in person here this morning and also online with the EFTs. We pray that they be used to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And as we go out into... This week, we pray that we can continue with an attitude of gratitude. That we can hold on to the big, big picture of you being a good God. And that when we wake up tomorrow morning and every morning, we can begin with, thanks, I give. And so if you know this blessing, you're welcome to join me, with that, join me in it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you as you go into this week.